Now, I am in Genesis chapter 17 this morning, so go ahead and find that in your Bibles. We're going to put it on the screen, but you're probably going to need to read it as well. Maybe underline a few things and think about what God did in the life of Abraham. We're going to be looking at the name of God as well here this morning. So we've sung about that name, which is above every name, the name of Jesus. Now we're going to read a little bit about the name from the Old Covenant. I am sitting down with Abraham at the kingdom feast. And we are learning from Abraham and what God did in his life. And seeking to apply that. Verse 1 of, of Genesis 17 says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you, your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You're to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from my my people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her. To, she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abram fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abram said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers. 
and I will, be made, I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abram took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Abram was 99 years old. That's old, isn't it? Hey, we haven't heard anything from Abraham in 13 years. He was 86 when Ishmael was born and now he is 99. And we have nothing about these intervening years. I talked last week about waiting. They'd waited 10 years. Abram and Sarah. To have a son. She did not become pregnant. Now he is 99 and it is 13 years later. I don't know what Abram's been thinking during this time. I don't know whether he's been walking in faith or walking in fear. I know that despite the plan he had and Sarah had with Hagar to make a nation out of Hagar's descendants, that God has not discarded Abram and Sarai. They're still people of the covenant. God's still going to come to them despite this detour that they've taken. Over and over again, it seems to me that Abram, the father of the faithful, proves unfaithful and difficult and sometimes faithless and unbelieving. And this man whom we hold up so high as the father of the faithful is very much like me and you in how he wanders away from God. God has an appointment with Abram. And I take it from the text, Abram knows nothing about it. Certainly, Abram has been in touch with God. And he's got a heart eager to hear. But God appears to him without explanation at the beginning of chapter 17. And God just starts talking. We don't have any chronicle of Abram feverishly looking for God, searching for God, trying to find God, connect to God, pray to God, hear from God. Nothing like that. Looks to me in verse 1 of chapter 17 that God just comes down and finds Abraham. Not the other way around. Now that's how God works. Every turn you make toward God is in response to something he has already done. You never get ahead of God. He's always ahead of you. As much as we would like to admire Abram and say of him, what an awesome person. 
The story of his life is God shows up and he goes, whoa, hello. And you know, that could happen today. I'm praying God will show up in your life. And you say, whoa, I I just thought it was going to be a normal day at church, you know. Show up at 9.30, sing some songs, hear the preaching, and go on to class. I didn't know God had a word for me. God interrupts us in the course of our life. Now, Abram's part in this is he just falls face down, all right? God shows up, God says hello, Abram falls face down. He does it twice, falls face down at the front, falls face down at the end. That's Abram's part. God speaks, he falls face down. What's that mean? Absolute surrender. Complete contrition. Whatever you want, God. Now, verse 1 has in the NIV and in the authorized version, the KJV, the word LORD in caps, all right? It's a big capital L, but then the other three letters, if you notice, are O-R-D in caps. That's because that word translates the holy name God gave to Moses at the burning bush, all right? That's the word Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. The Lord, Y-H-W-H, came to Abram, appeared to him, and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. In Exodus chapter 6, where the name of God is delivered to Moses at the burning bush. You remember Moses says, Lord, tell me your name. You're sending me to Pharaoh. They're going to want to know your name. What's your name? God says, I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you to them. And that is the name Yahweh. The four consonants, Y-H-W-H. And in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, the writer makes a notation that God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. And he was not known by Yahweh to them. The book of Genesis is called by Jesus the book of Moses. In fact, the first five books of your Bible are said by Jesus to be the book of Moses. Well, did Moses write about you? And as you read through, you realize he's quoting the Pentateuch. And they were known as the books of Moses, originating with Moses. But what we're reading about right now is hundreds of years before Moses. The beginning of the notion that there is one God. And it begins with Abram, whose father was probably an idol worshiper, who came out of a city that had many gods. 
and into a land of Canaan that had many gods and to whom God said you're not to worship the gods of your fathers across the other side of the river where you came from and you're not to worship the gods of the people in whose land you are dwelling you're to worship me I am El Shaddai I am God Almighty and beside me there is none other and when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses the first one is you shall have no other gods before me you shall not worship them or bow down to them only one God God begins the unfolding of his nature his purpose and his plan to the human family from the perspective of creation and his power I am God almighty Now, maybe you prefer to talk about the love of God. You see God as a loving friend. That's very important. In fact, God Almighty reveals himself to Abram as his friend. It's the shocking thing. It's the amazing thing that the creator of the universe, the God Almighty who made heaven and earth and everything in it, wants to be his friend and keeps interrupting his life, tapping him on the shoulder, appearing before him, saying, hey, do not be afraid, it's me you again this is God almighty rolling back the veil of mystery to a human being who knows down in his heart something made the world and everything in it something underlies all this that there is Paul will later say look Everybody on the planet ought to know they're a God because he can look at the heavens and see. And if you don't stand before the world God has made with a sense of wonder in your heart, something's broken inside of you. Surely no matter who you are, whatever level of faith you have, maybe you think I have no faith, but sometimes you want to say thank you to the God who made you somewhere out there. You want to say thank you to somebody for a beautiful sunrise and the flight of the birds. And the crashing of waves upon the shore. You want to say thank you to somebody. That impulse of your heart is El Shaddai drawn you toward him. Would you listen to that? That sense of awe and wonder before a world that's been given to you. Hands and feet and a mind and tongue. And you had no part in their, in their being. It was all a gift. God draws you to himself in the wonder of his creation. But even then, he's not simply saying, I am God Almighty. He is saying, and I want you to walk before me and be blameless. In other words, I am the God who made you, who designed your breathing, thinking processes. The fingerprints of your fingers and the bone structure of your body. And I want you to live your life in reference to me. In reverence and in reference to me. I want you to walk before me, to consciously think about who I am in the daily process of your life. I want you to live your life as if I am the God who sees you. 
the God who knows you. And the God who wants to be your friend. Walk before me, and if you will walk before me this way, you'll be blameless. You're going to fall into blame when you get ungrateful and self-sufficient and buy the lie that you're the self-made man as if anybody is. You're going to fall down. You're going to be in a situation of blame when you get that way. If you walk before me in reverence and in reference to who I am, your walk's going to be different. I am God Almighty. And then God introduces the covenant again with these words, as for me, this is my covenant with you. And verse 4 begins God's description of his part in this covenant. Now, Abram is not bargaining with God. Later on, we're going to read about Abram bartering with God, okay? A very interesting chapter. It's coming up. But this is not Abram bargaining with God. This is not Abram who's about to die and say, Lord, if you'll just heal me, I'll just do whatever you want. You know, you just, I'll just sign my, my name on the dotted line. This is not what's happening here. This is God appearing to Abram, surprising him in the middle of his life and saying, I want to enter into a covenant with you. God initiates the whole thing, delivers the covenant to him. And this is God's part. He starts out by saying, this is my part, all right? This is what I'm going to do. This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Brothers and sisters... Do you see how future-oriented God is? Abram's covenant with God is an everlasting covenant for the generations to come. God cares about the generations. The promise is embodied in this little baby boy that will come into the world helpless at eight pounds, washed out of his mother's womb. This is the heart of the covenant. You're going to have a baby. I have a suspicion that God cares more about the little ones than I do. Maybe than you do. That they are a higher priority for him than they are for us. I have a suspicion that God does not seek the serenity of a place where there is no clutter and no clatter and no breaking glass and no food being thrown and no pitter-patter of little feet. God prefers the chaos and the mess of all the little ones. And his promise is, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Abraham. There are 
There's a baby coming and there are babies coming. And this covenant involves future generations. I emphasize this to say to you, I want us to turn our eyes toward the nursery as a church. I want us to look to the future. I want us to think about babies. You say, well, I haven't been thinking about babies. God's been thinking about babies. There was an adult event happening with the disciples and they were going to have some teaching time and all of a sudden there were, there were little children there. And the, the, I mean, those, those disciples, they, they're going to take care of it. They're going to get these babies out of here. And Jesus says, you let those little children come to me and don't you forbid them for such, uh, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he takes those babies in his arms. And I want you to see First Baptist New Orleans taking the babies in their arms. I had the privilege in Malta to just hold babies. Beautiful little babies. I preached and I thought my contribution was going to be preaching. And that's what I'd be doing. I'd help some along the way. But then the nurseries were separated and Janet needed me every day. And so when I got through preaching, I sped up to the nursery. And there was four-month-old Anna and year-old Laura and 17-month-old Phoebe. And I spent hours and hours with those little babies. And God reminded me how important they are to him. We live in an adult city in a lot of ways. Our average age in Orleans Parish is 41. I would think that would be the average in our church. But I tell you, when little Brady comes in this room, my eight-month-old grandson, my heart leaps. And I want to take him in my arms and I want to carry him around because he's so important. I want everybody in the room to think about what is my role? How many names of babies do I know in this church? What is my role? How can I help? We need grandparents like me across the congregation to say, I want to help take care of the little ones. Maybe I'll serve in rotation back there, and once every five weeks, I'm going to go back there. And I'm going to be there while the preacher's preaching out here. And I'm going to learn some babies' names and bless some parents by caring for the little ones. We need dozens of grandparents to do that. We need others to say, that's going to be my ministry because I know how important it is. And I'm going back there, and I'm going to serve in Bible study ministry back there in the three-year-old's or the two-year-olds or the one-year-olds because I want my heart to be like God's heart and God cares about the future and so do I. And God wants to see the children come to him and so do I. If you take a child who's two or three and you love them with the love of Jesus, in that preschool to era, you put fingerprints on them that last forever. The influence you have with those little ones is powerful.
I just know God is calling men and women in this room to this ministry to the smallest of these. Now, we repainted the parking lot. And you will notice when you drive up to the education building that there are four slots where nobody parked before 9 o'clock. And they're called expectant mothers. All right? So if you're having a baby and you're kind of getting large and you got others in tow and it's tough on you, we want you to park right by the door. It's the best parking here. When they repainted the parking lot, they said, Pastor, you want to get a parking lot, you know, a little parking spot where you can park right next to the door? I said, no, I, I really don't need to. I, I, I do pretty good walking. I can walk fine. But if I had three little ones, including the baby I was trying to tow, I think I'd want to park near the door. So we got four spots for expectant mothers. Now, two weeks ago, we had 64 in the preschool division in our church. That's a lot of babies and preschoolers. And God has entrusted them to us. You know, we've got a master plan that calls for some more space for children in preschool. So I'm putting us all on alert. I think it's time for us to start praying about expanding this building to accommodate more of the little ones. And I would love for us to build the feature space for preschool in the city of New Orleans as we build this extension to our education building. We're looking for a new children's minister as our beloved Chris Smith has gone on to a ministry in Texas. We have a search committee that is working, and I want you to pray for them because we want to put this ministry on the top shelf. Why? Not because babies put pressure on us, I'll guarantee you that. It's because God loves the little ones and he cares about them. And when he gives the promise to Abram and Sarah, it's about a baby that he's going to send to them. And then other babies until they have descendants beyond number. The church of Jesus Christ has always been drawn to the future by the promises of God. See, when God gives you a promise... It turns you from the past to the future. Because it's something that's laid up for you. It's a hope toward which you move with great expectation. Jesus said, I'm coming back for you. And we want to turn toward the future. I ran into a fellow this week when I was having my car worked on. And I said something and he said, yeah, you better do that today. I tell you what, because the world's about to just end. He was very negative about the world. Like, you know, the world has gone to hell in a handbasket and you just don't know if we got another day. Well, it's true. We may not know we have another day. But you are not looking at a doomsday prophet who looks at the future with despair and hopelessness. I am not watching Africa and thinking the world is coming apart because I know the God who made it and he is God, what? almighty and there's nothing that he cannot do and this world is moving toward a future which is in El Shaddai and it's going to go to the future God intends and the world is in his hands and if you watch the news and you're fearful and afraid I want to pull you out of that today sister walk in faith Walk in reference to the God who made you, not the problems of the world. Believe in a God who's called you to himself. I'm going to change your name, Abram, to Abraham.
I'm going to change Sarah's name to Sarah. I've heard lots of explanations about what God was doing in the name change. That Sarah means princess. So she's going to be a princess and kings will come from her. And that sounds good to me. And Abram means father of multitudes instead of exalted father. That sounds good to me too. But I note that in each case, it's the hey. Say hey. Put your hand in front of your mouth and say hey. Hey, do you, hear, do you feel the breath coming out? Hey, you can't say hey without breath hitting your palm, right? Am I right? Say Yahweh and you'll feel it on your hand. It's the breath of God. My name is Yahweh and I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham because I'm putting the breath of God in you, brother, and into your wife, Sarah, as well. And all the limitations you thought were on your life are going to be exploded because my spirit will be at work in you. And that's what God's done in your life when he saved you through Jesus. He put the hay in you. The breath of God in you. In both Hebrew and Greek. The word for wind and the word for the spirit are the same. It's the breath of God in Abram. God makes this covenant with Abram. And it is a covenant of enormous expectation. Unlimited possibilities. And he changes his name to reflect that truth. And God says, I'm going to give you a new name too. You've been living in despair and hopelessness. And I'm going to give you a new name if you'll let me. It's going to be a name with the breath of God in it. And when the breath of God is in your name and your identity, it will change the world for you. And you will be walking in reference to El Shaddai. And as Jesus said, nothing will be impossible. Abram has a part in the covenant he's to obey he's to obey I know some folks that think their part in the covenant is to figure it out alright my part in the covenant is intellectual well I enjoy theology and philosophy I really do I ate up those classes when I was in school but I like Abram's response to the covenant. He just gets up and does it. And for some of you who are like hung on high center in your faith, and you keep thinking about it and going over it and over it, if you would just acknowledge that God has spoken to you, that you have encountered El Shaddai, that sometime he, somehow he has broken into your existence and delivered his message of power and love to you, if you just acknowledge that and then go do what he says... That obedience would be your act of faith. Why do you just hesitate all the time? Just, just afraid to step. What separates Abram from so many others is when God says, go, off he goes. 
And his obedience changes his mental perspective, his spiritual perspective, and his way of life. I know some folks think they're too old for new things. They were reared in this situation and they've lived all their life with this situation. They're not going to try anything new now. Sometimes we contemplate a new beginning and like Abraham, we fall face down. In verse 17, I wonder if he didn't fall face down so God couldn't see him smiling and chuckling under his breath. And I've heard people say, now, Abraham was not laughing out of unbelief. A laugh is the most mysterious thing in the world, isn't it? You see somebody laughing and immediately you ask, why are they laughing? Why are they laughing? What's going on there? Do you know that mice laugh? That's just an aside. You look it up. Okay? Yeah. Laughter is so mysterious. What are you doing, Abram? He's falling on his face. He's heaving his great big... He's chuckling to himself, and he's saying, Am I going to have a son at a hundred years old? Is that going to happen? Oh, then Ishmael might live before you, God. I got me a son. By Hagar, the Egyptian slave. I got me a son. Can't you? Can't you bless him? Now I'm going to do my covenant just like I started out saying. You and your beloved wife, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Happy birthday, aged father. We got a man in church today that turned 60 today. Hello, Brother JB. I'm not going to tell you anything else, okay? 60 years old. Got a man in the choir that's turning 60 tomorrow. That's getting on up there, isn't it? I hope they got their wills written, don't you? 60 years old. For everybody who thinks they're too old for the new work God wants to do in you, I give you Abraham and Sarah. Moses didn't go to Pharaoh till he was 80. They turned Caleb loose on the promised land when he was 80, and they said, you want the plain or the mountain? And Caleb said, give me that mountain. God is ready to use you whatever your age might be. They took me into the Sistine Chapel. Ten days ago, when I was in awe. I mean, it was an experience to be there and see the work of Michelangelo. I stopped under the painting of God and Adam and just looked at him for so long and walked around the room, 5,700 square feet on that ceiling that Michelangelo painted like this. A stunning work of art. And the guide said, now, if you'll look to the front wall, and I did, you'll see Judgment Day, and I did. Some 160 figures in that mural 
that Michelangelo painted. And the, and the guide said it was some 20 years after he did the ceiling that they called him back to do the last judgment. And in those years, he had aged and he became cynical. And even among the righteous who are being drawn up to heaven, there are no smiles on all that wall. Age does not automatically make you a person of greater faith. Age can make you cynical and hopeless and despairing. As we age, sometimes the life seeps out of us. And we surrender the future orientation of the promised to all the regrets and longings toward the past. Every person in the room should say to God today, Oh God, as I age, help me care more about the future generations and the babies and the promise and all that lies before. And help me pass on to my children and grandchildren a vitality of faith that they see in me every day. Not just words, not just a system of living, not just activities that are religious, not just institutions, but a fire and a passion for the future of God's promise. God, do it in me. Fill me up with faith, even at my age, to trust you for mighty things. Let's bow together. Dear God, we need God to to trust you. I pray for the sister who is fearful that you will stir her heart with faith today. For the brother who despairs as he looks toward the future that hope will pour in him today from you. That you are the God of the future who not only is in the present but will be in the future and all things are in your hands. And God, I pray today that you would help us obey to act upon the word you deliver to our hearts. God, to get in motion with what you have showed us. We commit our ways unto you. Pray for your Holy Spirit to put the breath of life in us. In Jesus' name, amen.